0: All right. If you have your Bible this morning, you can take it and open it up to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, I just have to say, I love Baptism Sundays. They make me happy every single time. It's a joy to be able to participate in people identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I always want to take a moment and mention this. Um, Every time we do baptisms, it's like people start asking questions about it. They start thinking about their own. Do they need to be baptized? Maybe you're here today and you're thinking about being baptized. Uh, Maybe you have questions about baptism, things that you don't quite understand, or maybe um, you want to learn a little bit more about baptism before you uh, really think about taking that step of publicly proclaiming your faith. Um, One thing that we do every quarter is we offer a baptism class, and so our next baptism class is coming up in the middle of March. I think it's March 19th, if I remember the dates correctly. Um, So if you're interested in joining that baptism class and then being baptized sometime after that... All you got to do is go to our website, click on our events page, and you'll see this uh, image with the baptism class there. And you can just click on that and learn more about, um, you know, baptism and how you can take the steps towards baptism here at UBC. Uh, so would love to be able to see you get baptized if that's what the Lord's calling you to do. Um, just quickly, I also want to remind you guys uh, who have been here for the past couple Sundays, I talked last Sunday about some staffing um, news that we had to share with the church. And I want to just remind you that tonight here at 630 um, at the church here in the sanctuary, we're going to do a town hall staffing update. Uh, we have a new assistant pastor position and candidate that we want to share with the church. Um, and so tonight uh, we're going to have some discussion about that and open that up to answer your questions, hear your thoughts. And so that'll be tonight. Uh, here at the church at 6 30. And then next, this coming weekend, actually February 11 and 12, is a big one regarding this candidate. On Saturday the 11th, we're going to have an open Q&A for the church where you can meet this candidate, ask them anything you'd like to ask, uh, both him and his spouse. Um, so we would love to have you there on Saturday at 4:45, And then next Sunday, he'll be preaching, uh, continuing to preach through our, our series through the book of Acts. And so that will uh, happen with him next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, the 19th, is when we would vote um, about receiving him as a new pastor uh, at our next members meeting, which is again coming up on February 19th. So hope that you'll consider being a part of that. Um, These are important events in the life of our church, so we hope that you'll consider joining in for that. And lastly, I just want to say what Phil said earlier. If you're new with us today, uh, thank you for being here. It is a blessing every single Sunday to meet people who are here for the very first time. Uh, We are a church that really exists to help people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ who know him and then make him known in the world. And we hope that mission is resounding with you. If you don't know Christ, we want to help you get to know him. As you get to know him, you're going to want to make him known in the world. And so uh, pray that if the Lord is calling you to join with us on that mission, uh, then perhaps the Lord would call you to make UBC your church home. So uh, thank you for being here with us if you're new. Um, If you're new, One thing that will be helpful for you to know is that on our Sunday morning services like this, we've been teaching straight through the New Testament book of Acts. Um, The book is called Acts because this book tells us the actions of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles in the early first century church. And so um, as, as Luke has written these things down for us and authored this letter, we have been working our way through this historical account Of the early church. Today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 17, which means that there are 16 chapters worth of info leading up to this. So if you're new with us, let me give you the very short summary version of what leads us to where we are today. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He calls his apostles and disciples near him and he says, I'm sending you out into the world to be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, Jesus told them that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. And that statement from Jesus serves as an outline for the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 through 8, the apostles are being his witnesses in Jerusalem. In uh, chapters 8 through 12, they start to witness for him in the areas around Jerusalem, the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then once we get to chapter 13 and the rest of the book, they are taking the gospel out to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the world among the non-Jewish people, the Gentile world. So that's Acts 13 and 14 really show us the the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul where he took his friend Barnabas, they traveled around, they preached the gospel, all these churches started, um, and then they return home uh, from that first missionary journey. And when they come home, there's this big, controversial debate that happens among the new believers. That debate is called the Jerusalem Council. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. And then after the Jerusalem Council happens in Acts chapter 16, Paul wants to go on his second missionary journey. And instead of taking Barnabas with him, this time he takes a man named Silas. And so we can just kind of look at a map and retrace their route so far on this second missionary journey. You can see that they started off um, in Antioch of Syria, which is again on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They went north and then west over um, toward modern-day Turkey, I guess. And that's uh, they stopped in a city called Lystra, which is where they met Timothy. Timothy joined Paul and Silas in this missionary journey, and then they continued west over to Troas on the uh, edge of the of the Aegean Sea. They crossed the Aegean Sea, went over into Europe. Um, the first city that they stopped and preached was the city of Philippi. God did mighty works in Philippi. He saved Lydia. Um, he, she and her household were, were baptized. Um, he, they, in, in Philippi, they cast a demon out of a demonically oppressed girl. Um, and the Philippian jailer who was suicidal uh, came to faith in Jesus, and both he and his household were saved and baptized. So powerful ministry in, in Philippi. From Philippi, they went just a little bit southwest down to Thessalonica, and as we saw last week in Thessalonica, they stayed with a man named Jason. Um, Here's the thing. The Jews, some of the Jews in Thessalonica didn't like these apostles coming in and staying at Jason's house, so what they do, they ransacked his house looking for the apostles, wanted to um, kick them out of the city, perhaps do harm to them. Uh, But they couldn't find the, the apostles at Jason's house. And so they got angry. They pulled Jason in front of the crowds. They said, look, these men that you're hosting, they have turned the world upside down. And for them, that was like an insult, right? Like saying, you've just messed up our system. You're messing up our normal way of life. These apostles are just causing too much trouble. They meant it as an insult. But as we know as believers, what a mighty statement. What a compliment for them. Hey, God is using these guys to turn the world upside down because... Man, when you meet Jesus, your world does turn upside down. The way of following Jesus is totally opposite of the way of sin. And so, uh, yeah, they were turning the world upside down. Over the course of three weeks in Thessalonica, many people came, became believers and a church was started right there in that short span of three weeks. And so we said last week um, that as we look at the life of Paul and his missionary friends, we said last week that God's call on your life, it, it may be more difficult But it also may be more fruitful than you ever imagined, right? As you follow Jesus, um, you know, don't do so thinking hard times will never come your way. They will most certainly come. And yet at the same time, God can work in those difficulties to produce more spiritual fruit uh, in your life and for the sake of the gospel than you can even imagine. So that's where we left off last week. Today we're going to pick up in chapter 17. We're going to work our way from verse 10 through verse 15 today. And as we work our way, I'm going to bring out several teaching points. And uh, of course, then we'll close with some personal application that all ties into the big idea of this text. And as we look at this text, here's the main point that's going to stand out from this text. Here's what it is it's that the best way to know the truth of God is to find it in Scripture. The best way to know the truth of God is to find it in Scripture. Now, Let's see how that idea plays out and how we see it come to bear as the events unfold in our six verses, verses 10 through 15. So uh, remember, as we get into verse 10, the hostile crowds have just ransacked Jason's house in Thessalonica. They're looking for the apostles. And here's what happens. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So just stop right there. Paul and and, and Silas... They are um, sent down to the city of Berea. Berea is about 45 or 50 miles southwest of Thessalonica. And so you got to imagine this hostile crowd searching for them during the day. So they're hiding away during the day. The night, night comes, boom, they're sent out of town. They go down to Berea. And it says when they got to Berea, here's continue in verse 10. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now again, this is Paul's pattern, right? He goes into a new city, he finds a a gathering place of the Jews, a synagogue, and he goes in and he usually preaches to the Jews first, and then takes the message to the Gentiles or the Greeks. Um, Here's the thing, this is unbelievable to me. This is kind of crazy to me, because they go right into the synagogue in Berea, which is the place of what? It's the place where the most devoted Jews would be. And what just happened with the most devoted Jews in the previous city at Thessalonica? They came and ransacked the house looking for him, trying to be uh, hostile to them. And so here's the thing. Haven't we seen this over and over again in the book of Acts? Everywhere Paul goes, you know, he he has trouble with the Jews. He preaches, there's fruit, but then um, the ministry and the reputation and the life of the apostle Paul comes under attack by these Jews. It keeps happening everywhere he goes. So here's the question. Why would Paul keep doing this? Why would he just keep subjecting himself, right, for, toward these troubles and such? And here's what we have to remember. Here's how this all starts to make sense. It's helpful to remember that Paul himself was a Jew. And here's why that matters. He cared about his people, and he wanted his people, the Jews, to come to see that Jesus was the Messiah. It had so radically impacted his life that he wanted his people to know the impact that seeing Jesus as the Messiah could have on their life. So he was compelled to preach to them and show them that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Even if it brought great suffering and harm upon himself, he would keep doing it. So it's why the Apostle Paul would write these words that he would later write to the Roman church. He says in Romans 9, verses 1 through 3, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness uh, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So I want you to really catch what Paul is saying right there. Paul is saying like he would be willing to give up his own salvation. He would be willing to be cut off from Christ in order for his Jewish kinsmen, in order to be saved, right? That is a serious love for your people. It is a serious love, love for your lost loved ones. A while back, um, I was having a conversation with Bobby Shell, our children's ministry director. And if you know anything about Bobby Shell, she's all about Beaver Creek. Beaver Creek, Beaver Creek's her people. She runs around with her little black and orange uh, Beaver Creek gear on. She's got her little orange Beaver Creek visor that she wears everywhere she goes, right? She's all about Beaver Creek and the people here. And we started talking about our church and ministry in Beaver Creek. And as we were talking, it kind of caught me off guard because she started to have tears welling up in her eyes and she started to weep. And it hit me. This is how much Bobby's heart is inclined to see the people of Beaver Creek come to know Jesus. Jesus. It was very powerful to me because she has a heart similar to the Apostle Paul. A heart that is in anguish for her people to come to know Jesus. So Paul had that heart. He agonized for his people, the Jews, to believe the gospel. And so that's why he would continue to go in to synagogues, to gathering places of the Jews, to share Jesus and endure suffering if necessary to help them know Christ. Like When I think about the Apostle Paul, like what an example to us. What an example to those of us in this room, especially who have lost loved ones, people that we care about, people that we love deeply, they don't know Jesus, but the deepest longing of your heart is for them to come to know Jesus. And maybe some of you are in that situation. Maybe some of you resound with that feeling of of the Apostle Paul where you, you would say, you know what? I'd be willing to be cut off from Jesus if my lost loved ones could come and be joined with him. Maybe some of you have that sense in your heart, like, I would go to hell in order for them to be able to make it to heaven. And so you share the goodness of Christ with them. You look for opportunities to talk with them about the gospel, and there are some of you who time and time again, you receive hostile reactions from your family, your friends, the people that you care about over and over again. And so what's the lesson that we learn here from the Apostle Paul? The lesson learned is, Church family, don't give up. Don't give up on them. Keep looking for those open doors. When those doors open, keep continuing to share the love of Jesus. Even when they get upset with you. Even when they're hostile towards you. And I think the way that we can do this is to remember Jesus himself hanging on the cross, literally receiving the hostility of people against him. And what does Jesus pray for them? Not, Father, punish them. Not, Father, take revenge on them. The heart of Jesus says, Father, please forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So my prayer for you, if you have lost loved ones, is that God would grant you the heart of Jesus. That a heart that cries out for God's forgiveness to come to them under the realization that they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know who they're rejecting. They don't know how lost they are. They don't know how desperately they need a Savior. So may God grant you the same heart of Jesus as you grieve over your lost loved ones. That's the heart that Paul has for the Jews. So despite his difficulties in Thessalonica, he goes into Berea and ministers in the synagogue and look what it says in verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Notice that it says that these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So normally when we think of uh, somebody being noble, we generally think of like, you know, rich, wealthy people, aristocrats, people who are nobles are probably the same people on Downton Abbey, you know, things like that, right? Uh, That's kind of what we think of. That's not what the word noble means here. When we think of noble here, what we have to see is that noble has to do with being open-minded or inclined with your mind, And this means that the the Jews in Thessalonica were more closed-minded, but the Jews here in Berea were more open-minded to consider the message of the gospel. And so that's why verse 11 says that they received the word with all eagerness. The Bereans were considered noble because they were eager to consider the things of God. So notice also that it says that they were doing what? They were examining the scripture to see if these things were so. They heard this message from Paul. They didn't know if it was true or not. Maybe it was the first time they heard it. Maybe something they had never heard before. They didn't just want to take Paul's word for it. So what did they do? They looked to the scriptures. And again, remember, they didn't have the 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testament the way that we do now, but they had the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And so they looked at the scriptures saying, look, all these things that Paul had taught us about Jesus being the Messiah, is it so? Is it true? They understood that the Scripture was the truth from God's Word. They looked there to find answers. Here's their response. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Many of them therefore believed, not with a few Greek women of high standing as well as well as men. So many of them believed. Why did they believe? Because they searched the Scriptures to see if things were so, and they found that they were. They searched the Scriptures looking, is Paul's message true? They found out that Paul's message was true, proven by Scripture. So what was their response? They believed. Isn't this good news in Berea so far? Look at this. This is a lovely passage about Berea. Going, preaching, people just believing, searching scripture. Man, wonderful. What have we learned through the book of Acts? Doesn't last long, right? Troubles are about to come. So look at verse 13. Here's what happens. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Remember last week we talked about how they went and... Rabble roused. Remember that? Here we are again. They're stirring up the crowds again. So you got these jealous Jews. They're coming all the way down from Thessalonica to Berea. That's like, again, like a 45 or 50 mile journey. It's not just like a walk next door or a walk down to Xenia, right? We're talking, they traveled a long ways by foot or by animal to come and like stop Paul, right? Paul's on mission for Jesus. They're on mission against Jesus. They want to shut him down. So, and again, what's the principle? We see that you know, when you're following God's call on your life, when you're proclaiming the truth, when you're, the kingdom of God is coming to bear where you are, it's going to mess with the world's mindset. And so what does that mean? You can expect opposition along the way. Opposition comes against Paul once again. Verse 14 and 15. It says, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those, uh, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come uh, join him as soon as possible, they departed. So here's just kind of a small thing, but an important thing. Paul had only been in Berea a short time, and yet you can see how much these new believers in Berea had already grown to care for him. Look what they're doing, right? They hadn't known him that long, yet it says they're conducting him from Berea to Athens. That means that they, they took him there. They escorted him there. Guys, that's no short trip. From Berea to Athens is like 250 miles. That's a long ways. You know, it's in our you know it's like a four-hour drive for us in a car that can go 60 miles an hour, right? These, or more for some of you. Uh, but, me too, guilty. Uh, but, you know, they're walking. They're traveling by animal. It's a long way to go. They're going by boat, whatever it is. And, you know, they're caring for him. They're going with him along the way. So they escort him to Athens. He asks for them to go get... Timothy, Silas, and and get them to him as soon as possible. And so they honored Paul's request. They went back to Berea to get Timothy and Silas and send them to Paul's way. So until Silas and Timothy get there, what's going on? Paul is in Athens alone on this missionary journey. And some really interesting stuff happens in Athens. And you got to come back next Sunday to hear about it, okay? Because we're going to get into it. Today, what did I say the main point from today's text is? Today is that the best way to know the truth of God is to find it in Scripture. Right? Isn't that what we see from the Bereans? They wanted to hear if the message is true. Is this message of God? Is it true? They searched the Scriptures. That's the main takeaway for us. They were noble because they searched the Scriptures. So, three takeaways that I have for you, personal applications coming off of this passage. First one is this. Everybody's got to do this. Consider in your own heart. Consider whether or not you are eager to search the Scriptures. Consider whether or not you are eager to search the scriptures. Every time I ask somebody, hey, how's your walk with Jesus going? You know, it's like almost like the default Christian answer is, well, I really could spend more time in the word. You know what I'm saying? We all default there. Yeah, sure. We could all spend more time in the word. Like, here's my question. How much? How much is enough? One more minute, 20 more minutes, 23 hours a day, like, like How much is enough? There's no answer. And here's why. Because it's not about how many minutes you spend in God's word. It's how how inclined is your heart to know the God of the word. That's the question I'm asking you to consider. It's not how much time you spend each day. My question is, are you eager? Is there an eagerness in your heart to search the scriptures? The Bereans were noble in that manner. They wanted to search the scriptures. Are you eager for God's word? Were you eager for God's word when you came into the service today? Did you have an anticipation, a readiness in your heart that God may speak to you from his word? We would all, we would all do well to stop going to church on Sundays and saying things, you know, like, oh, I just want to hear the message from such and such a preacher, or I'm really looking forward to hearing the talk from this guy or that guy. The question is, do you want to hear from God? Because God has given us his good word. He has given us his perfect son, and he has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to hear what he has to say for his church. Are you ready to hear from God? Are you eager to hear from God? And not just when you come to church on Sunday. What about on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? What about the rest of the week? Because what do we see from the Bereans? In the, in the Bereans, it says that they examine the scriptures daily, daily. Maybe they were opening scrolls in their homes and reading them that way. Maybe they were gathering in the Jewish synagogue day by day, however it happened. Daily, they were seeking out the word of the Lord. So praise God, today we have a Bible, right? We can take it on our phone or in our paper copy in our hand, and, and we can open it up day by day. So here's my question for you to consider. Do you have a daily reading plan? We're talking practical stuff now, right? Do you have a daily reading plan? Have you ever had one? I haven't always had a daily reading plan in my walk with the Lord since I've been a Christian. But the times that I've had have been sweet. And let me, let me just give you a a recommendation. Like for those of you who are like, okay, maybe I want to try to give that, give that a start. Um, I would recommend to you a daily reading plan called the Bible Recap. The Bible Recap. This is the, the daily reading plan that Rachel and I are using right now. It's been such a, a good Bible reading plan for us to go through together, talk about together, a daily scripture reading. You can just do a Google search for it, or do uh, you know, download the, the Bible recap on your Bible app on your phone. Whatever you want to do. If you want to read more about it, we actually have some paper printed ha- um, info sheets about it ha- hanging on the resource wall out in our welcome center that you can check out. But church family, I guess I just want to I want to just remind you, God has spoken. He has spoken to us through His Son Jesus. The apostles have recorded the message of Christ in Scripture. We have it in our New Testament. God has spoken. He wants to speak to you. The Lord of the universe wants to speak to you. He knows you, loves you despite all of your flaws. He wants you to know Him and all of His perfections, and He wants you to know His Son. So may God make us all eager and ready to receive His Word in Scripture. Second takeaway for us, since we're talking about Scripture and teaching about God, here's the second takeaway. Do not blindly accept or blindly reject new spiritual teaching. Instead, compare it to Scripture. Do not blindly accept or blindly reject new spiritual teaching. Compare it with Scripture. What do we see from the Bereans? They heard this message from Paul, and then they examined Scripture to see if it was true. See, sometimes you and I are going to kind of have these experiences that are like the Bereans. We're going to hear some new teaching. It's, it's going to get our attention because we haven't heard it before. And sometimes it may kind of provoke us in our spirit because it's not, it's not what we were taught as children. It's not what we were taught in our previous church experiences. It may not be readily acceptable by our friends or the culture at large. It may be a type of teaching that's exactly the opposite of what you've always believed. It may be the exact opposite of what you'd prefer to believe. And so in those cases, the tendency can be for us to just blindly reject it. Well, I don't like that. I've never heard it before, so eh, I'm done. You have no biblical reason to reject it. You haven't examined the Scriptures. We just reject it. And I would say, no, don't blindly reject the teaching. Examine Scripture. See if it's true. The converse is true as well. Like, Likewise, don't blindly accept teaching. Sometimes we blindly accept teaching for all sorts of weird reasons. Oh, we, we just accept some teaching because there's a really uh, charismatic, winsome communicator. And we just get drawn in to people with, you know, good speaking skills. It just kind of makes us feel good. So well, we just listen. We accept it. Sometimes we hear new content and, and it's It's just fascinating to us. It's intriguing. We've never heard it before, so we're drawn to it. Sometimes we listen to new teaching and we accept it because it bolsters a personal bias that we have. It allows us to hold on to a sinful belief or behavior that we're cherishing in our life. So we like that teaching. Sometimes we're drawn to accept teaching because somebody is very academic or It's in an educational setting. Sometimes we just believe things because somebody we loved taught us that way. It's what grandma taught us. It's what mom and dad taught us. We just accept it. In those cases, it can be very easy to blindly accept whatever teaching comes our way. Even if we don't have biblical justification for it, we just accept it for some reason. The big question you have to ask yourself is, is this teaching rooted in Scripture? Is there a true biblical case or Scripture that uh, really justifies the belief of this teaching? If there isn't, then we should reject it. If there is, then we should receive it as truth. And I just want to say, this is part of why we preach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because we're not just picking popular topics Uh, that people will come and show up to a church service to hear about. We're not just sharing our opinion or our, our stories or our experiences. We're not just picking and choosing the easy, palatable stuff. right? I want you to value the authority of Scripture as God's Word. All of it, the full counsel, even the hard parts to accept. I want us to value it as it is, the Word of God. And when you're persuaded that something is true, not because you like it, You might not like it, but when you're persuaded that something is true because it just stands out to you, this is the truth from Scripture, then what should we do? We should receive it, cherish it, believe it, submit ourselves to it, respond to it, even if we don't prefer it. So don't blindly reject or blindly accept new teaching. Compare it to Scripture. And here's the last takeaway for all of us this morning. Last one. Hear the Scripture's message of Jesus and believe. Hear the scripture's message of Jesus and believe. In our text today, Paul preached the message of Christ to the Bereans. They searched the scriptures, they found it to be true, and they believed, right? So the same is the same. It's the same call for us. If you find that this is the truth of God's word, then believe it, receive it. The scripture isn't out there just for you to learn it like a textbook and just have information in your head. It's here to provide transformation to your life. You receive the truth of scripture It's not just for your comprehension, it's it's for your submission. It's not just to be learned, it's to be trusted. So believe, trust, take in the teaching of Scripture through faith. Because you may have heard the teaching of Scripture that 2,000 years ago, there was a man that lived named Jesus of Nazareth. And you may have heard the teaching of Scripture that he was the Son of God. And you may have heard the teaching of Scripture that he was born of the Virgin Mary, And you may have heard the teaching of scripture that he lived a sinless life. And you may have heard some of his teachings from scripture, his parables, the sermons on the mount. You may have heard the teaching of scripture that he died on a cross and rose again three days later. And you may have even heard the teaching of scripture that he died on the cross, rose again three days later for the forgiveness of our sins. So that those of us who believe might be forgiven of our sin and be saved. You may have heard the teaching of scripture. Here's my question. Have you Believed it. Have you believed the truth about Jesus? John three, sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Hear the truth, hear the truth about Jesus. See that it comes from Scripture, and believe, and you'll be saved. Lord, we stop for a moment now to say thank you again for your word. Thank you for the fact that we can stand on it as truth. We stand under it as authority. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who maybe has heard this message from Scripture before, but they've never repented of their sin, and believed upon Jesus Christ for their own salvation. I pray today they would believe. And for those of us who have believed, Lord, would you, through the working of your Holy Spirit, produce within us an eagerness to search the Scriptures, to know you, to stand on your truth. Apart from you, Lord, we recognize we can do nothing. We can't make this eagerness appear in our own hearts. So, Lord, I just want to recognize that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that this will happen. So, I ask in the name of Jesus that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would work in our church to make us a church full of people who are eager for your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.